I hope I can say Shabbat Shalom every day. Shabbat Shalom again. Hagmat so. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to be here on Chatmak So, Unleavened Bread. It truly is such a blessing. I want to spend some time because we've, we've spent this time together. And um, I know it's really hard for me after spending consecutive days with the brethren to then go back into the slavery of the world. And I get very apprehensive doing that. And I think many of us do, especially those of you that have traveled from afar. It's kind of bittersweet, isn't it not? It's bittersweet. What a crazy world that we live in. I want to talk about this time, Chag Matzot, unleavened bread, and a time of preparation, because I truly believe that that is what this time is about. I think we can see it reflected in the preparation week. We see it in the Besorah, in the Gospels, and the preparation for Passover. It's all about preparation. Preparation for what? For cleaning out our cupboards? Well, that's an object lesson of something far deeper, of course, leaven being sin, but it's also a preparation time for us, I believe, in this day and age that we live in. This year, 2016, no matter what your political opinions are, it's a crazy year. This is an election year. Things are shifting. Things are moving. Not only on a political level, economically, even if you, if you listen to the top economic uh, economists. They're, they're, I mean, either they're trying to delay the inevitable or they're finally saying, yeah, I don't think this is tenable much longer. On the military sphere, look what's happening throughout the world, not only in North Korea, but throughout Europe with the migration of um, everything that's happening in Europe and um, specifically Brussels and, and Germany. The world is shifting. Will we be able to keep up with it? What about our southern borders? I mean, there is so much going on that it just makes you wonder. It makes you wonder. You can either stick your head in the sand and just go on, que sera, que sera, everything goes on just as normal. Or you can start to wake up and say, I really do believe that I need to be proactive I need to take the scriptures, apply it to my life, and make preparations. You can store up all the rice and beans that you want, but at the end of the day, they may spoil. You need to be prepared inside from the inside out. But that doesn't excuse that you make external preparations too. There's a lesser and the greater. At the end of the day, we have got to be prepared and to relinquish everything from the inside out. But that doesn't mean that we don't take care of the lesser things as well. I think that you can see through with Bernie Sanders and Clinton, this Bolshevik communism that is, if you have the eyes to see, you can see a resurgence of this communistic Bolshevik mentality that is being embraced on the college campuses as something hip, as something trendy. When you look at at Sanders, he truly is a Bolshevik a communist, and there will, at his political rallies, you see the communist flag being raised. And then typical Bolshevism, you see the instigation of racial segregation to try and pit 
one group of people against another, whether that be different working classes back in Russia during the Russian Revolution, which it was called, terrible name, no such thing as a Russian Revolution. It was really the Bolshevik Revolution, which was, of course, run by mainly Jews. So from the Khazarian region, that's another subject in itself. But history is replaying itself because we never took care of what we were supposed to do at the beginning of the 20th century. And almost a 100 years to the date, we are now seeing it fermenting again. What happened in Russia and in Germany and Poland is now spreading its wings across the globe Bolshevik globalism, communism coming into the political arena near you. Unless, of course, you want to go for the Illuminati-inspired Ted Cruz. And there are many, many naive Christians that will go, well, he, he reads the Bible. And, but not seeing past that he's a total puppet for the Illuminati agenda. I don't even need to get in with any of you about the Clintons, whether it be Waco, whether it be the Oklahoma bombings, whether it be them sending in their special operations and them getting shot as they go through the window into Waco. We don't need to get into that. We know that that, that, that family is so corrupt and that, that political candidate, I don't know even if her throat will last before rotting out before November. But, you know, this, this is the world that we live in, and it's truly, truly troubling. Not to mention we've had the Oregon standoff. We've got the issues not only here in other states with the BLM and these federal agencies pushing and pushing and pushing. We've even seen it within our local assembly where a brother has been living out on um, land and then was going to get femur and the, f- the federal agents having to post and we had to get one of our brothers out of a situation because we could even see that federal encroachment in our local area too. Not something to be taken lightly as we see the exercise of this global cabal more and more infiltrating into our communities. I was really moved yesterday because there are many of you that have actually traveled from afar. We've got people... Chicago, Florida, Pennsylvania, Southern California, where else? Arizona. Arizona. Uh, We've had people come from all over for Passover, and it's extremely humbling. Driving, flying, coming in on camels. I mean, uh, amazing stuff. The camels, no, but, you know, that would be nice. We may need those. But... Yesterday, I had um, a chance to visit with a brother, and it, it really, really touched me because he was very moved, and it was just me and him, and he sat down with me, and he just looked deeply into my eyes and said, are you for real? Because it's, it's easy to love people from the pulpit to the back door. But, and I've been to many ministries. He said, I've, I've been to this state, that state, gone to other countries. And oftentimes I go and I dis, I'm disappointed and I see you on, on, on the TV and I see. But I represent a whole group of people out there that are wondering, are you for real? 
Or do you just love people from the pulpit to the back door? Because that's easy. Because I represent a whole group of people out there that are seriously concerned about the affairs of the world. And we're alone. We watch online. We don't have family. In fact, many of our family don't want to be around us anymore. We've become alienated. We're heretics. Join the club. And we feel alone and we wonder, is this ministry for real? Are you for real? Or are you just like another ministry loving people from the pulpit to the back door? And that really struck me because I'm like, no, no, we're for real. I'm for real. And we're genuinely concerned. And for me, when I see people coming in from out of state, out of town, and congregating, my heart, and Brother John shaking his head in the back too, and I know he deals a lot with communicating with all of you, with Brother Steve too. They're the first line of contact. Um, our heart is, correct me if I'm wrong, but I know Brother's going to agree, it's like the, the sheep that are off, that come into the flock. And we are trying to say, yes, we will do everything that we can for Yahuwah's flock to come together. And that's what I love about his Moedim. His feasts are a time for us to come together. And as a ministry, we will try and do everything that we can to enable you to come together with us so that we can be the flock of the righteous together. Because when you're singled out off on your own, it is painful and it is troubling. And we need the support of one another. We are for real. I am for real. And I'm just like you. Broken. And he takes the foolish of the world and he puts to shame those, those that think they are wise because they're so locked into the system and the Illuminati agenda, and they're so locked into their religious dogma. But we're free. We're free, and we have the power of the faith. We're truly seeking this first century faith, where when you see somebody by the wayside, then you go and assist them and help them. And that's what we truly want to be about. So what I would like to say right now is that we don't want to see the sheep off alone and isolated because I don't think that is a safe place to be in a world that is on the precipice of danger. So turn with me to Bereshit, Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. We're going to look at why we congregate at the Moedim, the feast specifically. Now, the question again was posed to me yesterday. Are you for real? Is this ministry for real? Well, I'll tell you and I'll start off by saying this. I'm not going to sell you the bill of goods that something's going to happen around Purim and that we all need to gather together because this altar's going to go up and da-da-da-da-da. Show me the chapter and verse that talks about Purim. That is not for real. That is somebody trying to sell you on something. But what I'm going to do today is go to the scripture and give you line upon line. And we will go through the scripture and we will not look at Purim 
Because Purim isn't in the scriptures, but we will look at Chag Matzot, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we will see if this feast tells us that this is our time to prepare. Okay? Is that fair enough? Bereshit, Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. We're going to be in the vicinity of this text. Give or take a few chapters. Because this is the area of Passover and unleavened bread within the narratives of Scripture. And we will see that within the text of chapter 19. But you'll also say it in chapter 18, 17, and chapter 21. This all happens around a specific time. The language of the text is dripping with Moedim, unleavened bread, matzah. It tells us what is going on. Escape for your Chaim. 19 verse 17, escape for your Chaim, look not behind you. Once you come in to the awakening of the Malkit Zedek and you set your hand to this plow, you cannot look back. And that is what we've been spending 13 weeks or so going through with the book of Hebrews. That was the author's directive to his audience. Once you've set your pan to the plow of the Malkit Zedek, that he is your Kohen Haggadah, you cannot look back because if you do, you will die a physical death. The truth is, according to history, that the audience of the book of Hebrews, they listened to the author when he admonished them, not to look back, and they crossed over the Jordan, and they lived safely for three and a half years. Not one of them died as Jerusalem was destroyed and sacked in 70 of the common era, and a million Yehudim, Jews, were slaughtered because they heeded the author's words. So, look what it says. Escape for your Chaim. Look not behind you and do not stay in any part of the plain. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. Now, of course, the audience thinks what? Of the text? (laughs) We don't need to do that. It's not serious. It's not going to happen. They're joking. Verse 14, right? Look, look in that, 1914. But look in verse 18, because of the fear of his Chaim, his life, Lot didn't heed the words of the Malachim, did he? But he wanted to go into the nearest small town and seek refuge. Oh, it's not being serious. No, I think I'll go to the nearest small, I don't think I'll need to go to the mountain. I'll go to the smallest near town. What's our faith going to be like? Are we going to have the faith of Lot? Or are we going to listen to Yahweh's Malachim? His messengers. Malachim means messengers. Could be angels, could be men. His messengers. Are we going to listen to his messengers? Because there's messengers right here. I'm looking out and I'm seeing messengers. Seats full of messengers. 
that are in tune to Yahuwah's word. We need to trust one another and the Ruach within each other. Because otherwise, you're just going to be listening to CNN, the liberals and the communist Bolsheviks telling you, oh, no, no, everything will be as before. And that's what they will do. And they think we're insane. No, you're insane. That if you think that this society is going to continue for another decade, it is untenable economically, military, and religiously. It cannot continue the way it has. It cannot. It simply will not survive. It's the fall. You see, the pattern repeats with the words of the prophets Jeremiah and Yeshayahu Isaiah. His fugitives shall flee unto Zoar, Isaiah 15 and Jeremiah 48. You see, Avraham is our example. Because when Avraham moves, he mahaz, mahaz in the Hebrew. It means to make haste in a fluid, liquid form that flows headlong almost fearfully. He's on the move. He's fluid and he's going somewhere. This is our example as the children of Avraham. He is fearfully and wonderfully moving. In the text, we can see that the text is pregnant with fluidity and shifting and change in a time of fear and trouble. You need to be on the move. You see, because everybody's locked down in this world with what? Possessions, debt, and things that will lock them down. Oh, but I I can't. They, They can't do it. They've got to get their meds. They've got to get their drugs. They've got to get their money out of the bank. They've got, to get, they've, got to get, they've got to get it all. They're locked in. There was a situation just recently in England where a lady was waiting for the train going up to London, pregnant she was. She dropped her phone into the tracks. She couldn't let it go. She had to get down into the tracks to get her, tr- her, her, her phone. And she got run over and died, her and her unborn child. I was with a pastor just the other year, and we were at the zoo together. And I kind of joked with the pastor, and I said, because uh, he was always on his phone. And I said, we were, out, we were by the hippopotamus enclosure. And he was texting away. And I said to him, I said, uh, if your phone went in there, what would you do? He's like, I'll go get it. I was like, no way. He's like, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would. He would. He would have gone into the hippopotamus enclosure to get the phone. I'm like, no, forget the phone. I'll, you know, mine's backed up. I'll go and get another one. But I'm serious. We are so connected to our possessions and that's what locks us down that we're unable to be fluid and being on the move. When he says go through his messengers, will we go? We've got to be ready to go. We have to be ready to go. It's the Pesach. Oh, I I didn't make the, the change on my calendar. I've got to go to work. Well, are you going to go or not? I believe that's why Yahweh's Moadim fall in the middle of the work week. And I believe that's why there are so many calendars out there to keep us on our toes. 
well, hang on a minute. My wife's like, can you print out the new solar calendar for? I don't know what's going on. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I'll call Jeremy. And he's like, I'm not sure what's going on either. <laughs> and then he shoots me another graph. And then we're like, now we really don't know what's going on. But I mean, it's exciting because it keeps us on our toes. Are we ready to move? I thought it was Shabbat tomorrow. No, it's today. Oh, okay. <laughs> keeps us fluid. Keeps us fluid. But Avraham, he mahaz. He is on the move. And when is his time of fleeing? Genesis, Bereshit, 17.21, like I said yesterday, a moed. What moed? We're all preparing our ugar in the Hebrew, chapter 18, verse 6, our flat, unleavened cakes, confirmed by verse 18, at the moed, I will return. Even Lot, like I said yesterday, he knows that the timing is unleavened bread. 19 verse 3, Lot makes, we see um, here, he makes the two malachim matzah in the Hebrew, matzah. And finally in chapter 21 verse 2, at that same moed feast festival, a year later than chapter 17 verse 21, Sarah gives birth to her child, Isaac. Let's turn to Luke, the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 62. Put a finger in Luke, chapter 9, and then put a finger in Luke, chapter 17. We're going there. Luke 9, 62. And Yahusha said to him, No man, having put his hand to the plow handle and looking back, is fit for the malchut of Yahuwah. You're not fit if you look back. You don't want to do that. Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise also, as it was in the days of Lot. So apparently, the text that I just referenced to you back in Bereshit jumps forward to the present. Can you see that? It's very important because Yahushua is addressing an audience that is going to see, they will see in their generation the destruction of their religious, political, and military society. That's the audience that Yahushua and the writer of the book of Hebrews addresses. I, likewise, am addressing an audience that is going to see the destruction of their religious, political, and financial society. You either believe that or you don't. But I'm willing to say that I believe that I am in that generation, like our author, like Yahushua, that will say and see those things. I just don't think it's tenable to continue on the way it is. Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, They bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. Now, they didn't have the fluoride, they didn't have the chemtrails, and they didn't have the GMOs, so they had a head start on you and I, and they weren't being chased around by the local veterinarian with a needle trying to give you vaccinations, (laughs) right? But today, they're trying to get, they try and pull that blood off your child within the first 
two hours. Heel sticking them. Can we take away your child and rub some stuff in their eyes? Can we go and put the heel stick so we can take their DNA and put it into a data bank so we can get it into our transhumanism program that they're building right now? Can we map your baby infant's DNA from the get-go? And you start to say, no, 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 no. And all of a sudden, you're crazy. No, it's really crazy that you're trying to take fluid out of my child that's only been born for an hour. Who are you? I don't even know you. What credentials do you have? No, I'm talking scriptural credentials. I'm not New World Order globalist stuff. You see? It's crazy. That's the world we live in. Verse 29, but that same day, Lot went out of Sedom. It rained with fire and brimstone from the master Yahuwah from the Shamaim and destroyed them all. We know that there is fire is coming from the Shamaim. How? What the vehicle is going to be? We haven't any clue. According to Gil Broussard, it could be Planet X. According to the guy in North Korea, it's most probably going to be his bloody satellite that comes over the West Coast every 24 hours. We don't know, but we know that we live in a world where it is very feasible and extremely probable, do we not? Unless we are totally walking along with our head in the sand, listening to Beyonce and watching the Super Bowl, (laughs) which most people are, right? And we continue on now, verse 30 of Luke chapter 17. Even so it shall be in the day when the Ben-Adam, the Son of Man, is revealed. In that day, he who shall be upon the housetop with his belongings in the Bayit house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever shall seek to save his Chaim, his life shall lose it. And whoever shall lose his Chaim, life shall preserve it. I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed, and one shall be taken and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together, and one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, and the one shall be taken and the other left. And they responded and said to him, Where? Where, master? You see, Yahusha told the Talmudim, his disciples, about this fleeing, this fleeing for safety. Even the Shlechim, the apostles, they even asked him, Where? Where, master? Verse 37. They wanted to know where this place of fleeing would be. Then Yahushua said this, wherever the body is, there will the eagles be gathered together. Verse 37. Are you serious? Did you catch that? Did you see Yahweh's plan? for you and for me, it was by eagle's wings that the woman will be transported to the place of safety, and it's here on earth. Here on earth. Giliana, Revelation 12, verse 
14. And to the woman was given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and a times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. And then we get a clue from Io, from Job, chapter 39, verse 27. Let's go to Io, Job, chapter 39, verse 27. Does the eagle mount up at thy command and make her nest on high? She dwelleth and abideth on the rock. Now I've got to tell you, I've been obsessed since last Sukkot on the First Nations history in this country. I started off by reading, um, I left my heart at wounded knee. I mean, my goodness. If you want to know what happened to the Native Americans, that book is a powerful book. And from there, I have just been jumping and jumping. I've read so much. Because I didn't know diddly squat about what happened in this country. I knew what happened with the bloody Vikings. But I didn't know. I didn't study your history. I studied my people's history in England. So to study it, and of course, I'm not going to study what they tell you to study in high school or college. I'm going to study the books that they don't want you to study. So I started off with that. Now, I have got to tell you, we live in a reservation. Everything, literally, literally, everything that they tried and succeeded to do on the First Nations people, I don't even like to call them Native Americans, they are the First Nations people. What they did on the First Nations people, they have now expanded that from the east to the west. We live on a reservation. But what's interesting is that the war, the way that the First Nations people lived and survived, and the Comanche especially, were the hardest tribe to defeat because they were so ready to move at the drop of a hat. And they were the tribe that had really mastered from the Spanish horsemanship. You put a First Nations person on a horse. But what, they, what, what the Americans did is they tried to get the First Nations people off the horse and plowing and in the fields. Why? Because then they could lock them down. Then they could bring pestilence and disease upon their crops. They'd slaughter the buffalo, kill their food supply, bring in disease in blankets, and then they'd bring them in the old rations left over from the Civil War. And that's what they did. But the Comanche, now they, they were on the horse, and they were not like the Navajo, they were not like many of the tribes that were rooted in the land, because that's what the Americans try to do. Oh, we'll give you some land, we'll give you some corn, we'll give you some veggies, and then they are stuck. But if they were nomadic... And if they were on the move, then they lasted for another 30 or 40 years until finally they were locked down. And this is why I'm saying it, because what they learned to do was what this text says here. And of course, they weren't reading this text unless you 
believe that maybe they were connected back to the Israelite people, and we've already spoken about that. But look what it says right here in Iov. She that dwelleth and abideth on the rock. You see, because what the Comanches would do is they would go into the high rocked areas, and they would actually dwell up there, and then they would let the Americans come in, and then they were able to defend their positions Because what they did is they used the terrain. And that's why this insurgency that we've seen in the Middle East has gone on for so long. Because you have these civilized American forces that go in to an area where they just do not understand the terrain. And they just do not understand that. Because when the people are disconnected from possessions and from worldly things, that's a very dangerous people because they're fluid like Abraham and ready to move. The Comanche being the tribe that was able to move the fastest, the most swiftly, and the most efficiently, that they lasted and were one of the last strongholds of the First Nations people and one of the bravest and most ruthless. So let me continue on. She that dwelleth and abideth on the rock, Selah in the Hebrew or Petra in the Greek. And we've all heard many of the Christian Zionists are like, oh, we've got to flee to Petra. That's where this comes from. Upon the crag of the rock and the strong places. This means a place of safety, a strong house, a strong place. From thence, from the rock... She seeketh the prey, and her eyes behold afar off. Her young ones also suck up blood, and where the slain are, there is she. So we need to follow the pattern. I believe this is a pattern for us in this generation. We're not to be traveling more than six days' journey. We're not to be traveling more than six days' journey. Our refuge is supposed to be a short distance from our homes, just as Yahushua warned the inhabitants of Yerushalayim, enabling the people to flee with little food in their possession or within a period of six or fewer days in order not to travel on the weekly Sabbath. Because you've got to understand, even the military-industrial complex, unless they're a small elite unit, they are locked down and loaded down with what? Stuff. 90-pound packs. That's just a regular unit, infantry. You see, so being unshackled from the world and things enable you to move fluidly. When I was with Calvary Chapel as a youth pastor, I ran the mountain ministries. And I remember the first mountain ministries that I did. I had about 15 people that I was going to take up Mount Hood. And we met next door and... uh, I wanted to go through everybody's packs. And you should have seen some of these mules that these people brought in. One of the guys was a professional football player. Massive, huge man. And I offended him so badly because I said, you're not going to make it. 
I said, firstly, look at the size of you. You are huge. I said, but you've got to carry all of that up 11,000 feet. I said, I was even thinner than this. I'm like, I'm just, you know, not a lot here, but not a lot to carry either. And it's not all bulked up. So that looks good in the gym, but it's not necessarily going to help you in the real world, especially when you combine that with the fact that you brought your soup kitchen with you. You know, Coleman Bunsen burners. We're not going on a picnic. We're trying to climb Mount Hood. You know, so I'm like, chuck, 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 chuck. You know, crampons, ice axe, some spare clothing, and, you know, some MREs. We're ready to go. And water. This is important because we're looking now at what? Being fluid and coming out of the world, coming out of my people. We need to follow the pattern. Isaiah, in the 16th chapter, in the 14th verse, there is a place called Selah, or Petra in the Greek, that is in the wilderness that will take outcasts like those of a wandering bird that is cast out of her nest. Verse 2. Travel to a place where the eagles go to search for food. Luke 17, verse 37. Yahushua referred to the book of Iob, Job, where from Selah or Petra, the eagles seek the prey and her eyes behold afar off. Job 39, verse 30. Then Yeshayahu, Isaiah, said these flying creatures were like a wandering bird cast out of the nest. Isaiah 16.2. And then in verse 3 it said, Hide the outcasts, betray not him that wanders, lest my outcasts live with you. Be a shelter to them from the face of the plunderer, for the extortioner is at the end. The plunderer ceases, the oppressors are consumed out of the land, and in Rachamin, Mercy shall the Kesei throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in Emet, truth, in the Sukkah of Dawid, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking Mishpat, judgment, and bringing Zadokar speedily, fluidly. This is why I believe we're instructed by the Shlechim, by the apostles, to rebuild the what? Fallen tabernacle of David. Marse Shlechim, Acts chapter 15. That is the charge of this generation as it was the charge of the generation of Yahushua and the audience of the book of Hebrews. Because it's our end time place of refuge. When? Sukkot really is our practice. Now, those big RVs are nice, but it ain't going to work. But we, we most probably get one this year, right? Yes. Uh, my wife's like, yes. <laughs> but a bivy sack and a backpack, brother, is reality in the end, most probably. Mishle, 
And the ladies are like this. No, he didn't say that. No, I heard hot steam showers and essential oils. <laughs> Hallelujah, exactly. <laughs> Mishle, Proverbs 14, verse 26. The fear of Yahuwah is strong confidence, and his children in Israel shall have a place of refuge. Revelation 13, verse 10. He that leads into captivity shall surely go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed by the sword. Here is the endurance or the patience of the saints, the Israelite Kedoshim. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By Emunah, faith, Noah, being warned by Yahuwah of things not seen, as yet moved, he was fluid and he moved with fear, made an ark to save his bait, his house, but it, by it, excuse me, he condemned the world and became heir to the righteousness that is by faith. You see, the patriarchs were fluid and they were ready to move, unshackled from the world. They lived by faith and they were not encumbered by the world system. In fact, by their actions in preparation, the world was condemned, was it not? Because they disbelieved. Oh, you're preppers. Oh, you just, oh, you, you believe in the Bible literally. You condemn and you terrify the world by your actions. Because their whole society survives in this fake arena. And if that fake arena were to collapse, they would be terrified. Whereas we would be extremely energized, motivated, and inspired indwelt by the superpowering Ruach HaKodesh. In fact, many of you are sitting at home, most probably like, yep, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And when that whole blood moon things was happening, you're like, all right, all right. We're and then you're like, oh, kind of disappointed it didn't happen. I know, because I'm kind of the same way. <laughs> Bereshit, Genesis chapter 19, verse 17. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be consumed. Verse 30. And Lot went out up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him, for he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. These scriptures warn us to take flight, like the eagle or even the dove. But take flight to where? Look at verse 30. To the mountains, to the places of safety during the great tribulation. As Lot and his family were instructed in chapter 19, verse 17, to do before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Get out of the cities. Why? Because in the cities is where the iniquity, the liberal agenda, and everything dwells, which is sin. And you can see that. The big metropolitan areas are a lot more full of the iniquity and the liberal agenda. And all they need to do is 
shut down those main veins in and out of the city, and you're locked in really easy. And they've already mapped the whole of the United States city complexes of what those main veins are that need to be shut down to lock you in. Because then once they lock you in, what do they do? Groceries are gone within three days. Water is gone within three days. You've got no food and water. You're hopped up on your antidepressants and all your medications. They're shut down. So they open up the stadiums. They open up the National Guard. They open up all of those storage lockers that have got the barbed wire pointing the wrong way. Right? Have you seen that? Like it's to keep, it's to keep your boxes in. And why do they have plumbing in the storage lockers? You don't need plumbing in the storage lockers. Why? Okay, because they'll lock that place down and then you're in and they will offer you what? Just what they offered the First Nations people. Food, blankets, medicine. And off you go. Off you go. Liberal agenda. And once you're in, you're not coming out. And you think I'm joking, you think, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Do your research, do your due diligence, and you look at what is going on in this nation. You look what is going on in this nation. As they sit back and let the violence pour over the borders. The violence pour over the borders. So what we can see right here as we go through the scriptures that we are warned to take flight, like the eagle or the dove. We're to take flight to the mountains, but we're to do it before and get out of the cities where the sin dwells, because in the cities, people are not dependent upon Yahuwah, are they? They are dependent upon the municipalities. That's what they are. They are dependent upon the municipalities and the handouts. It's amazing what I see working in the cities. So we continue on Matthew chapter 2, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 14. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what Yahuwah had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. So there are a number of people in scriptures, including Yahusha, including Yahusha, that were hidden away by Yahuwah for a season. Oh, well, you guys are just apocalyptic. You've got no faith. Well, apparently Yahusha's family didn't have any faith either. No. Your definition of faith is a theological mumbo-jumbo that enslaves people not to question your doctrine and dogma. That's not what the Scripture teaches. Faith is the Word of Yahuwah in action. And that's what we're about. We look at the Scriptures, we look at the world, and we remember history, and we're not stupid. And then we put our faith in action because we believe in the promises of Yahuwah. Just like Yahushua's family said, we're leaving and we are getting out because it is dangerous and there is going to be, the government is going to be looking for us and we're going to go to Egypt until the time of safety. Just like 
the whole audience of the book of Hebrews that went over the Jordan and they survived because they put their faith in action. Oh, but no, you've got no faith. We have faith because we're going to be having a martini in Hawaii in our Speedos and then there's going to be a rapture and then my Speedos are going to be left on the beach. (laughs) Right? Wrong. What a visual. Sorry, but you know. crazy stuff. I believed that for about six weeks once. (laughs) I think I got 10 pages. I think I got 10 pages back in the 90s into that book. What is that book they came out with, the whole bloody series? Left Behind. Tim LaHaye. I think I got about 10 pages into it and I was like, oh, this is nonsense. Oh, I'm just going to read the book of Revelation. Fancy that. And then I was like, oh, I don't, what? Yeah. I was like, okay, I can read 300 pages of fantasy or I can just read, you know, a few chapters and get it done. Let's get it done. Yeah, amazing stuff. Let's get back to what we were talking about. Sorry about that. But there's a number of people throughout the scriptures, even the Kadosh family, the Holy Family, that were hidden away by Yahweh for a season from the government for various reasons. We need to understand that the earth is Yahweh's footstool. It's not the New World Order's footstool. They want you to believe that it is, but it is not. In my father's house are many mansions, he says. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. There are many mansions, so that means that there are many places. Many places that Yahushua is preparing for his end-time Kedoshim, his end-time saints. Not just one place, but many places. Revelation, Giliana 12, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by Yahuwah that they should feed her there 1,260 days or three and a half years. Isn't it interesting that history records that the audience went over to the Jordan of the book of Hebrews for three and a half years around the destruction of the temple in 70. Very interesting. In fact, his name is not Hippopotamus, but you could easily read it that way. And now I've said that, I can't pronounce his name properly. Hippolytus. Is that how you pronounce it, brother, in the back? The bishop, the bishop, the bishop of Rome during the third century. How do you pronounce that? Hippopotamus, Hippolytus, Hippolytus was the bishop of Rome during the third century and he interpreted this text, Revelation 12, 6, as a time when, quote, the tyrant is to reign and persecute the church which flees from city to city and seeks concealment in the wilderness among the mountains. So, Hippolytus 
believed that brethren would be fleeing the cities and going from one city to the next. But between their journey from city to city, they would seek concealment in the wilderness among the mountains. Very interesting. Why bother going from city to city when you could just hide out in the mountains? Matthew 14, verse 21, gives us the answer. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. And immediately Yahushua constrained his Talmudim disciples to get into a boat and to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into the mountainous region alone to make tefillah, prayer. And when the evening had come, he was there alone. You see, we're not to hide our light under a basket. We're not just supposed to pack up with our ammunition, rice and beans and disappear and never come back because we're not supposed to hide this light of ours under a basket. We're to proclaim the coming kingdom, just like Jonah, Jonah and the prophets before us. We proclaim the coming kingdom, and then we retreat to the mountains for refuge after our work is done. That's what we do. Because our goal is to seek the lost sheep. That's what the Master has charged us to do. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, and his charge on earth was, I come but not for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He has now entrusted us to take upon his mantle, his work as his koanim. So that's our job. Not to just flee and say, well, forget you all. Because there's many people out there that have a heart, but they've just been led astray by false shepherds fleecing the flock. Matthew 28, verse 16. And then the eleven Talmudim disciples went away into the Galilee, into a mountainous region where Yahushua had appointed them. So you see, the master often goes down into the cities. What does he do? He proclaims the message. Then the government and the religious and the financial come and try to entrap him, ensnare him, and then he's gone. And then they come down. Minister to the people, and then the political, religious, and military leaders try and come in, and then they're gone. Why? Because they were like a combat force. They had swords, they had little belongings, and they were able to move swiftly under the cover of darkness, and they did not have a bunch of possessions dragging them down. And they were empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. And I truly believe what will happen is we will go in companies, companies of believers, and the Ruach HaKodesh will descend so heavily upon one within that group and that that person at that point will have the anointing. And the rest of the group, the rest of the brethren, will recognize the anointing and pray and pray and pray for that person as they guide the flock. And then the anointing 
They'll be exhausted. The anointing will come off them. It'll go on another, and you'll see it, and then you'll pray and pray and pray, and then that person. And it will literally be like when you look in the sky and you see those birds that are flying or like I used to do, cycling in the peloton, you take a time up front and then you drop to the back and then you take, and that will be the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh upon his people. Because it's not one man that can lead, but it is the Ruach HaKodesh leading through his people. We need to recognize the anointing on each other. But then the anointing will come off. That person will be exhausted. They go to the back. They get nourished. They get taken care of by the body. And then the rest of you are praying and praying because you saw the anointing fall on the another one. And that is how you will actually be able to go through checkpoints. You will be able to move and discern. I know it for sure and for certain. The word confirms it. And I speak this to you now. Do not be afraid. We've seen the anointing within the assembly and we'll see it on Yahuwah's people. But if you have this dogmatic idea of one person up front up front, and all the lowly hirelings below, that will never work. Will never work. The church system is broken. It will never work because it doesn't recognize the anointing within the Kedoshim. I'm a facilitator using the word, but we all work together. We all have different functions within the body. But we work together and we have to recognize that. It's truly, truly will be our salvation or our destruction. If we believe in the Nicolaitan pyramid system where there's one person in charge, where you have a whole bunch of hirelings and you have this whole bunch of... Um, you see it, you see it. What do they call it? Um, it's a religious hierarchy. We see it. Oh, well, this appointed leader and this appointed leader. And oh, 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 oh. and you're like, it's a bunch of religious shenanigans. They will let, that will be their destruction. But when we can humbly recognize the anointing of the Ruach HaKodesh on Yahweh's people, regardless of economic status, racial status, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's the anointing. Whether you're a male or female, slave or free, doesn't matter. It's the anointing. That's the power of the combat force of Yahuwah in these last days. We will truly be an elite force. We're already training for it. So let's continue on as we wrap up because this is so important. This is connected to the Passover. We follow the scriptural pattern. Mark chapter 3 verse 13. Again, I see time and time and again throughout the scriptures that we're called away to the mountains of refuge for safety because in the mountains that is where we will hear his still small voice and will gain the power to enable us to drive out the evil and deliver those that are still in the cities that are still in need. The mountains is where we go for the anointing and wait for the anointing to fall upon one or more in the group where we will receive our marching orders of which is our next city or town or village of proclamation. Then we go and then we go back to the mountains and that is where Yahusha and the Talmudim always went back to the mountains 
to wait for the indwelling, overflowing of the Ruach HaKodesh, where they got their next marching orders, orders excuse me, to go to the next village, hamlet, or city to then try and pluck out those that were still captives. That's the heart of the Father. It's not about getting your AR-15 as much as I like them, and your beans and rice, and just heading off and never looking back. Yes, we never look back once we set our course with Yahuwah, but we do have a heart for his people, right? That are entrapped and enslaved by the religious shenanigans of this world order. Mark 3.13, and he went up into a mountain again, and he called to him whom he would, and they came to him, and he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them out to proclaim, and to have power to heal, and sickness, and to cast out shedim, demons. Look at it, right there, right there. This is you and I saying we're going to align ourselves with the scriptural pattern. I believe we'll be able to rule in the midst of our enemies just as the scripture says right there. I truly believe that. Isaiah 26, 20. Come, my people, enter thou into thy chambers and shut thy doors behind thee. Hide thyself as if it were for a little moment until the indignation is past. That's the mountains. Come into the chambers. Hide thyself until that big troop carrier and FEMA has rounded up the ones that didn't listen, that mocked you and ridiculed you for all these years. And then the ones that are left, then after the indignation has passed, you go down full of the anointing of the Ruach Kakodesh and you grow and grab and pluck out. This is what happened with the First Nations people, the Comanche especially. Because they were fast and swift. They went off into the mountains and then they would go down. And they would. there used to be all these tribal wars. But towards the end in the 1870s, man, they were so desperate. That, you know, the Comanches had fought with the Crows and the Navajo had been with the Crows fighting, you know. And at the end, they were like, we're going to down to help the Crows. We're going to go down to help the Blackfeet. We're going to go down and help the Navajo. And they were pulling them out and pulling, and they all came together. But it was too late. Let us not make the same mistakes. We have to act swiftly because they did not have what we have. Why? Because it was their fault? No. Because it was our fault the Europeans never did the charge that we were supposed to, which was come over here and teach them about the Mashiach. In exchange, we were to receive from them how to love thy neighbor and how to take care of the land and how to take care of animals. But we never learned. It was supposed to be a mutual exchange. The lesser we were to receive how to love thy neighbor, take care of the animals and take care of land stewardship, the greater we were to impart with them not to worship the created things, but to worship the creator through the Son, Romans tells us in the first and second chapter. But because we wanted the minerals and we wanted the gold and we wanted the land, we robbed, raped and pillaged. And we have now all born the same fruit and we live on a reservation. And that federal agency that enslaved has now enslaved you and I. I just got charged $2,500 on my taxes. $2,500. 
The year before last, it was $8.50. But this year, I just did my taxes. $2,500 because I didn't have medical insurance last year. I got fined two and a half grand. That is illegal, unconstitutional. But you try and fight that. It's criminal. Criminal. So next year, you know, what, could be 10 grand? Just whatever arbitrary number they decide to tack on your tax bill. Outrageous. Outrageous. Yochanan, chapter 1, verse 21. He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of Yahuwah, as said the prophet Yeshayahu. Yeshayahu, verse 40, verse 3. Chapter 40, verse 3. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of Yahuwah. Make straight in the desert a highway to our Elohim. You see, the woman in the wilderness in Revelation 12 represents John the Immerser. And she'll cry in the wilderness with that very same voice. In the day of tribulation, we will mount and rise as the turtle dove and enter into the crevices of the earth and into the clefts of the mountain in the wilderness of the earth. And the unrighteous will weep and mourn and they will gnash their teeth. They truly will. Psalm 72, verse 3. The mountain shall bring peace to the people and the little hills by Zedekiah. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness because in the mountains is where Yahuwah's people will flee to be empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh to be rejuvenated so that then they can go out to the villages, the hamlets, and the cities and pluck and pluck the little lost sheep that have been enslaved, that the New World Order is trying to round up and slaughter. That is what I see in the Scripture. Psalm 72, verse 16, There shall be a handful of corn in the earth upon the top of the mountains. What is a handful of corn? No, it's a remnant. There shall be a remnant on the earth, on the top of the mountains. That's you, that handful of corn. That's a remnant. Job 40 verse 20, Surely the mountains bring him forth food and nourishments where all the beasts of the field play. That's where we get our nourishment. Isaiah, Yeshayahu, 65, verse 9. And I will bring forth a seed out of Yaakov and out of Yehuda, an inheritor of my mountains, and mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. Look at that. Yehezkel, Ezekiel 20, verse 35. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there I will plead with you, Panaim el Panaim. You'll have a face-to-face encounter with the Ruach HaKodesh. Rav Shaol, the Apostle Paul, comforts us with these words, reminding us that deliverance will come through sanctification of the Ruach and belief 
in the truth, that we may be delivered. Our protection is guaranteed during this time because the Apostle Paul states, but the Master is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from all evil. 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 3. Or as Donald Trump says, 2 Thessalonians. Or was it 2 Corinthians? And he got a lot of flack for that. He doesn't read his Bible. Well, no, of course he doesn't. But at least he's not bought by the New World Order. If Ben Carson comes along under him as vice president, we're good to go. I mean, he'll keep him in check. Donald's unplugged from the New World Order, got his own money, and Ben Carson to keep him righteous. I mean, come on. Or you got Hillary with her throat rotting out before November. People get very nervous when I speak this way. Matthew, you need protection. (laughs) Tamara's really not liking that. Sorry, honey. But Yahweh says his people can be hidden until the indignation is removed. There will come a time, I believe, to enter into our houses and, yes, to shut our doors and hide ourselves until the indignation is over and past. Yeshayahu, Isaiah 26, verse 20. Come, my people, enter into your rooms and shut your doors all around you. Hide yourselves for just a little while. Until the displeasure is past. For see, Yahweh comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. They're going to go running to the grocery stores, running for the vaccinations, running to the medical clinics, running for the blankets, running for the food. It's an easy target. But we are the people that live by faith. And I believe that Yahuwah has called us in this day to his Moedim, his seasons, his feasts and festivals, because they are prophetic signs for us for preparation. Preparation. Truly the preparation. So the question that was posed to me yesterday, are you for real? Is this ministry for real? Do you really believe that we are the last generation? Do you really care about the people that are out there at home, that are isolated, that are wondering what's going on? What should we do? What's the message? Because it's easy to love people from the pulpit to the back door. But do you really care? Yes, I care. Yes, we care as a ministry. Because we see that our strength is when we are together, not isolated. We need to come together. I believe this is our pattern, and it begins at the feasts and festivals of Yahuwah. So if you're out there in internet land and you are isolated, then you look to the next feast and then make preparation to come and join us because we will be joining and banding together, preparing with the feasts of Yahuwah. Amen? Amen. Amen.